We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, if you go ahead and turn there. Um, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 1 through uh, 20. I've been praying that uh, God would stir your hearts this morning. And uh, Bryant came in and prayed with me beforehand. Um, you know, it's great to study God's Word, but it, it means nothing if the Holy Spirit's not working and, and moving. And uh, if we're not willing and obedient to respond to Him as, as He shares with us. And so uh, this morning, I just, I, I pray that, you know, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. All right, let's let, let's let the Holy Spirit do work, and, but let's respond in worship uh, to Him. So let's read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was setting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of this man that we see was hopeless, had no hope. That the townspeople had tried to help him, yet they couldn't. But Father, we see your son Jesus show up and we see in that moment for the first time this man had hope that he could be set free, no longer bound by chains, no longer bound by shackles, no longer possessed by this demon, but free because of the power and the authority that Jesus Christ has. Lord, I pray this morning that we come away marveling at your authority, at your power. I pray that we'd submit to you And Lord, I pray that we would worship as we leave, praising you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in your outline, you have four points. I kept it easy for you. I know Dr. Dillon likes to make you write a lot. So uh, I kept it with four little points there. And uh, the first one that you see right off the bat is that those without Jesus have no hope. Those without Jesus have no hope. We see in the first five verses a man who has been possessed, 
a man who lives at the tombs, a man who is lonely, a man who cannot stop cutting himself, a man who cries night and day, a man tormented would be the best way that we could describe him. And we see a few things. We see that you know, the townspeople in this village, they've not just let him be, they've actually tried to help him. They've come many times and they've tried to chain him up and shackle him. He's kind of the crazy guy, right? He's that guy in town that, that for, for us today, you know, we don't really like to believe in demonic possession or whatever. He'd be the one that was in the psych ward, right? That we get signed up, he'd go off, they'd get him on some really strong medication and he wouldn't hurt anybody anymore, right? Uh, But in this day, they believed in demons. They believed in possession and different things like that. And so they came and they tried to help him. And what they did is they shackled him up. They chained him up because, you know, if someone's trying to hurt themselves, uh, if they're constantly cutting themselves, constantly crying out, uh, one, you don't want them to come hurt your family, right? You want them to be chained up, shackled up. Two, you definitely don't want him, you know, killing himself. You're trying to have mercy on him. You're trying to help him. And so we see in the text right off the bat that they had, they had done this many times. It says uh, in verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Anymore. There, there was a point in time maybe they were able to bind him, but now they're, they're no longer able to, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. See, I, I see uh, sometimes I think that we think that we are super strong. Sometimes we think that we have it all figured out. Sometimes I think that we think that we don't need Jesus. We don't need any help. That we can be a good person. That we can uh, throw sin off all by ourselves. That we will be just fine. And at the end of the day, what we find is we could never, ever defeat the principalities, the demons, and Satan on our own. You see, by ourselves, he's much stronger than us. You see, sin is much stronger than us. It, scripture tells us that we, are, we become slaves to sin, that it, it controls us. It changes our hearts, it changes our lives, it pulls us away from God the Father. It's already separated us. And so, in our own hearts, we gotta wake up and we have to see that without Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. Let me tell you four reasons why this man had no hope. Number one, he was a sinner and didn't know how to be saved. He was a sinner and didn't know how to be saved. You see, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this man was not, the, the worst thing for him was not the circumstances that he was in. The worst thing for this man was that his soul was in danger of hell. Would you agree with me? I think sometimes we think that the worst thing is the, the situation, the rational things that we can see. When at the end of the day, the, the worst thing for some of the people that we love and care about is that if they died today, they would spend eternity separated from God the Father. If they died today, their very souls would not be saved. And there's only one way that they can be saved. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, this man needed an encounter with Jesus because Jesus was the only one who could not only save him from this demon, but could save his very soul. So the first thing I want you to see is that this man had no hope, not because of the demon, not because of the cutting, not because of the chains being broken and all those things, but because his soul needed saving and he was in danger of the fires of hell. I think that's key for us to see as we study this text right off the bat. I think it's key for us to remember that without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We have no hope. 
you might live a great life, a glorious life here on earth. You might have a great boat and you might have a, you know, an awesome dog and a great house and a beautiful wife and, uh, or a, a handsome husband or whatever it is that you're looking for. And at the end of the day, you could die and spend eternity lost, spend eternity in hell without hope. You see, we've got to be careful what we put our hope in. Some of us put our hope in the things of this earth that can vanish. They can be gone just like that. So that's the first reason he had no hope. The second was that he was possessed and overtaken with demons. He had lost control of his own mind, of his own body. One of the scariest things for me is Alzheimer's. All right, like I, I'm 30 years old, so hopefully I got a long way to go, but that terrifies me. Just to think that I would lose my mind that I would not remember things, that I wouldn't remember my own family, that I wouldn't remember my own friends, that I wouldn't even know, you know, I walk to the kitchen and all of a sudden there I am and what am I doing here? I don't even remember what I was doing. That terrifies me. This man had lost his mind. He'd lost all control of everything that he had. Can you imagine? Can you imagine where this man was? You see, we love control, don't we? We love to be in control. We love to think that we have everything figured out. We love to think that we got this. Yet at the end of the day, this man, he had lost all of that. He'd lost all control. The third reason that he has no hope is that the men of the town had tried to help him, but their chains and shackles were not strong enough. Not even the people around him, not the strongest men in the village, not the greatest warrior that they had could come and subdue him. The power of the demons was too strong. I don't know about you, but if you put some shackles on me, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm a pretty strong guy, but I don't think I can break those. I sure can't shatter them into pieces. So we see the strength of this demon. We see that the townspeople who are trying to help him, what are they trying to diagnose? They're trying to diagnose the problem outwardly, and they're trying to fix it by, by shackling him up, rather than the spiritual issue that's really there that allowed the demon to come in. And so they can't help him. He's hopeless. The last reason that he uh, has no hope is that he was near death. You see, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's a reason that this man's hanging out by the tombs, right? He's by the tombs for a reason. And as we see a little bit later, when the demons are cast into the pigs, what happens to the pigs? They run into the water and drown and they die. You see, that was the plan that these demons had for this man. To kill him. To utterly destroy him. They'd already taken his life. They'd already taken his mind. They'd already taken everything that he knew. His family, his friends, he's gone. He lives at the tombs. He's the man who cries out day and night. They'd taken his peace. They'd taken everything. I can't imagine how alone this man must have felt. I can't imagine what it felt like every night as he watched his own hand cut himself with stones unable to do anything to stop it. I can't imagine as he screamed out day and night, remembering his family, remembering his friends that sleep in the village right down the, right down the street, remembering the life he used to have before these demons possessed him. I can't imagine how alone he felt. I can't imagine as, as the men came and they tried to help him and they'd chain him up and shackle him. And maybe at first when he saw the shackles and the chains, he thought, oh good, now I won't be able to hurt myself anymore. Now I won't have to cry out in pain any longer. Only to watch those chains break and shatter before his eyes. Only to see his momentary hope gone in an instant. 
You see, it's easy for us to see this physical picture here from the story that Jesus is telling us, that, that, that the Bible's telling us as Jesus is living out his life. But that is the state of many of us spiritually right now. Many of you in here this morning have been trying to fix a problem that can only be fixed with the blood of Jesus Christ by doing other things. Maybe it's by living a good life. Maybe you think that because you're a good person that Jesus is gonna let you in and the fact of the matter is there'll be many who come to the Lord Jesus on that last day and they say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things I did for you. And he's gonna look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. One of the saddest verses in all of scripture that there's many people that sit in our pews every Sunday who've come to church their entire lives who are good people, who go to the food bank and feed people and they do all kind of great things, but at the end of the day, their hope is in themselves and their works and it means nothing to King Jesus. It means nothing to him. Your works are like filthy rags compared to him. The only thing that God can look upon and be pleased in is his son. And for us, we gotta remember that. We cannot fix a spiritual problem with our good works. We are not born good people. We are born sinners in need of a savior. You don't believe me? Go teach kindergarten, okay? Nobody has to teach those kids how to sin. Nobody's gotta teach them how to do what's wrong. They just know. All right? Little kid steals their blocks, they're bopping them over the head. That's mine. Why? Oh, they're sinners. Okay? If you haven't had any kids, you'll find out. Okay? No grand, if you just haven't hung out with kids, I don't know. I teach students. They're sinners. Okay? It's rough. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm not trying to blame, you know, point at little kids. I just want you to see that we're all born sinners. There's no good people. Does that make sense? You can do good things, but at the end of the day, why you do them, the desires of your heart, there is no good. Scripture teaches us that, that clearly to us. We are for ourselves. We want to worship us outside of Jesus Christ being Lord. All right? So for us, I want you to see that first and foremost, that those without Jesus have no hope. If you come away with nothing else this morning, I hope you come away with that because that's the most important thing for you to understand that you absolutely 100% need Jesus Christ in your life. All the other things you build your life upon, all the other things you hold on to as your security blanket can be gone just like that. Just like that. You are not promised tomorrow. You are not promised another breath and you do not have to wake up tomorrow morning and all those things will mean nothing when you are dead. Does that make sense? Hopefully I hit that point home clear to you. Second point I want you to see is that Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. Look at verses six through seven. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse 8, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Can you imagine being this man, having no hope, nothing that could help you? You're watching yourself just totally be destroyed day by day, dying on your way to a death, and for the first time, all of a sudden, this man comes off of a boat, and the demons that control you run down and kneel before him and say, What have you to do with me? For the first time, he's encountered someone who has the authority and power to tell the demons what to do. 
And for the first time, he's encountered someone who has the power to heal him. Can you imagine what he's thinking? As he's down on his knees looking up at the face of Jesus and he hears the demon say, what have you to do with us, right? I just imagine they talk like that. They probably don't, right? In my mind, that's what they sound like. Okay, they're really menacing. What have you to do with us? Can you imagine how he, what? This man, who is this man? How does he have the power and authority to cast these demons out? How is he in charge in this situation? He finds himself at the feet of Jesus. What an amazing moment this must have been for him. For the first time in his, since he had been possessed, he had hope. He had hope. Say, why this man? Why would Jesus heal this man? Of all the people to heal, this man's a, de- a demon-possessed man, right? Now, we don't know why people get possessed. There's speculation about that. Maybe they're really bad off in sin. And because of that sin, they f- go completely into it and it opens up a door for a, a demon to come in. Or-, or maybe it's just because they're not a Christian. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them and it's open door and the demon comes in. We- we're not really sure about that. Scripture doesn't lay out, this is how demon possession happens, right? We're not positive of that. He could have been a horrible man. He could have been just a normal person going through his life. We don't know. Why this man? Why would Jesus choose this man? In Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, Jesus explains why. It says this. Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I didn't come for the people who think they've got it all figured out. I didn't come for the people who think that they're fine, that they're good people. I came for the people who are broken. I came for the people who are sick. I came for the people who are in need of a physician. See, the biggest problem we have here in the United States of America is we think we're fine. We think we're good. We've got wealth, we've got prosperity, we've got entertainment, we've got all the things to keep us happy, to keep us nice and cushy, and we don't think we need anything. We think we're fine. Jesus didn't come for the people who think that they're fine. He came for the people who are willing to wake up and recognize that they are broken, that they're in need of a savior. He came for the people who are willing to be vulnerable and open up and say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I can't do everything that I want to do. I, I can't rely on myself only. I don't trust myself to live a life free of sin. I don't trust myself to be a good person. I know at the very core of me that I'm a sinner. I teach Bible at Coastal Christian, uh, which is the school that First Baptist has. And this past week, I asked the students, What if someone could just follow you around for a day and they could hear every thought that you had? Every single thought that you had. Do you think after a day following you around and hearing your thoughts that they'd even want to be friends with you anymore? You think that they would think that you're a good person? I think their opinion would change very quickly if they could hear every thought that we had. If you think that you're a good person this morning, just ask yourself, If anyone could hear all of my thoughts, would they agree? Would they agree? Right? 
Jesus came for the sinners. He came for the broken. He came for the ones willing to recognize and be real and say, I don't have it figured out. You see, we're the same as this man in this story. Jesus is our only hope. That's it. That's why the church meets on Sunday mornings when we could be sleeping in because we watched football all last night, right? That's why. That's why we wake up early. We come in and worship because it's all about him. He is our only hope. The things of this earth are perishing, fleeting. Yet Jesus Christ is eternal. He's forever. He can save our very souls. 1 John 4, 1 through 4 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Key verse, verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Christians this morning, we don't have to be afraid of these demons. Christians this morning, we know that because of the power of Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, that we have power and authority over those demons. That we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High King who reigns forever, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And for us as Christians, when we look at this story, we don't have to be afraid. We look at it and we say, that was me before Christ. That was me in chains, right? It might have been a different kind of chains. It wasn't the chains that that bound us literally. It was the chains that bound us by sin to where we could not break free. You tried so hard to break that sin over and over and over again, and yet you can't. You might do good for a little period of time, but what happens? You go right back to it. Right back to that same sin. Because you know why? You're not a savior. Jesus is. Jesus is the only savior. And for us, we gotta recognize that this morning as a church, we should rejoice in that, knowing that by the power of Jesus Christ, by his blood, that when we put our faith in him, we no longer have to be afraid of these things. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer led by false spirits. We're led by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that lives within us. That should be a cause for rejoicing. The third point that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. From the moment he gets there, the demons are down on their knees submitting to him, asking him what he wants them to do. Not only do the winds and seas obey him, but legions of demons fall at his feet and ask his will, knowing that they submit to him. You know how many a legion is? A legion was about a thousand Roman soldiers. Can you imagine a thousand demons? Whew. That's a lot of demons. It's kind of scary, right? Yet, they fall at his feet. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know this is the Great Commission, but I think we miss verse 18 a whole lot. Jesus says, comes and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch the first part? 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because God has imparted all authority to his son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him. What does that mean for us? We don't have to be afraid. It means that spirits, principalities, the darkness, the ones we war with, right? We think that we war with people. We think that non-believers are our enemy. In fact, we engage in conversations with them and we end up fighting. Oh, no, it's supposed to be this way, this way. And the fact of the matter is that's not who we war with. We war with these demons, with these principalities is what scripture tells us. It's not flesh and blood. And because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, we as the church should be able to go boldly with strength and power and faith and make disciples of all nations. You know what it means to make a disciple? It doesn't mean you share your faith and they pray a prayer. That's not what discipleship is. To make a disciple means that not only do they come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you teach them the word of God. You teach them how to live a life that's sustainable in Christ where they're relying on him every day. You teach them the scriptures. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age, I am with you. You see, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do this. We're able to go and make disciples. We're able to wage war on hell. You see, in scripture, when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail against you to the church, when Jesus is telling Peter that, right? The gates of hell are defense. The gates of hell, the gates were the number one form of defense in warfare. You see, we're not on defense, church. We're on offense. All authority has been given unto Jesus. Yet so often you see in our lives and you see in the church that we're playing defense. Oh, let me just take care of me. Oh, I gotta make sure I'm walking in the word. I can't go out and share my faith today. I just gotta make sure no, there's no attacks on me. Right? Oh no, the church here, we gotta, we gotta be careful. We don't wanna let any of those sinners into our midst. They might disrupt some things. We gotta be careful of that. Because our very mission that God has called us to is to go and make disciples. We are to be storming the gates of hell. Sharing the good news of the gospel with souls that are his at this very moment. They belong to Satan at this very moment. Yet they can be one for the kingdom of Jesus Christ if the church will wake up and start going out on offense, claiming the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. But that won't happen if we're enjoying our comfort, if we're enjoying our entertainment. That won't happen if our hope is in our stuff or in how we feel. That will only happen when we submit and say, you know what, I'm gonna follow Jesus. The word Christian means Christ follower. But I don't see many Christ followers. Not anymore. I see people who follow easy believism. I see people who, who like to be comfortable but when I look at Jesus and the example that he set, he gave everything. He's washing the feet of Judas and the disciples. He's going out and healing the broken. He's sitting and eating with sinners, even though he's being mocked. He's hanging on a cross naked, giving his very life 
so that we could be saved. What are we doing to take up our cross? What are we doing as the church to go out and to share the good news of the gospel with this community right around here? How many lost? How many lost in your neighborhood? How many next door neighbors don't even know the name of Jesus Christ because we've been sitting back? Our hope is in our comfort. Our hope is in if everything's good for us. It's gotta be in Jesus Christ. Jesus has all authority. This man who probably begged over and over for the townspeople to help him only to watch them fail to be able to do so now watches as the demons that have reigned in his life beg Jesus to be sent into the filthy flock of pigs. Look at the heart here of the crowd, okay? So you get the demons, they, he, Jesus cast them out into the pigs. The herd, numbering about 2,000, rushes down the steep bank into the sea. We're drowning the sea. Look at verse 14 here. The herdsmen fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Why do you think it tells us that he was clothed? Before he wasn't, right? Can you imagine this man? He's got no dignity. He's clothed now. He's in his right mind. And what happens? And they were afraid. Whoa, Jesus, calm down with that crazy miraculous stuff, all right? They were Baptists if there ever was one, all right? Calm down, Holy Spirit. Quit doing weird miracles, all right? We don't do that kind of stuff around here. We're singing our hymns. We got our hands in our pockets. We're doing good, right? Everything's fine. Stop doing crazy miracles. Stop. Holy Jesus, you need to calm down with this, you know, casting out demon stuff. What's going on? They were terrified. They hadn't seen anything like this. This is powerful. This is, this is mighty. This is a work of God. This is something that the church is afraid of these days. And it should be the thing that we are excited most about. To see God move. To see his hand moving amongst his people. To see revival break out. To see the Holy Spirit working in mighty ways. And yet we're so afraid of it. Because you know what it will do? It will take us out of our little comfort zones that we got. We're fine just how it is. If the world dies and goes to hell, that's fine as long as I got my lazy boy, my big TV, and my boat to go out on after church. Sad, because it's true. It is. That's, that's the church in the United States of America. That's why every year the church in the United States of America is dwindling, while the church is in China, where they're being persecuted, while the churches in Africa, where they're being killed for their faith, are growing in multitudes. Revival has broken out. You know why? Because it's not about comfort. It's about Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel going out and disciples being made. We've got to ask ourselves, what are we in it for? Look what they do. They're afraid, and then what do they do? And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. He just did this great miracle. He did the thing that they couldn't do. That He helped the man that was broken, that was hurting. They couldn't do anything for him. Jesus heals him. And now they say, please, 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 please get out of here. We don't like this crazy stuff you got going on. You know why they asked him to leave? How many pigs was that? 2,000? 2,000 pigs rushed in and drowned. What's that represent for them? 
That's their livelihood. That's their money. That's their economy. 2,000 pigs? These were farmers. There goes their money. Would you be willing to give everything in your bank account for a man you don't even know to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Or would you be furious at the Holy Spirit for even asking you to give that up for a soul? Where is your treasure? What do you love? Who do you love? Who is king? Is it you or is it Jesus? They begged him to leave and guess what? Jesus did. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Can you imagine what Jesus could have done for this town? Can you imagine how many people would have been healed? How many sick would have been fine? Can you imagine as Jesus shares who he is, the Messiah, how many souls would have been saved? Yet they asked him to leave. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Get out of here. Go. And he gets in the boat. And I want you to see this fourth point very clearly. That those whom Jesus heals submit to his authority. Those whom Jesus heals submit to his authority. You see something crazy happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We get a new heart. We get a new heart. We are cleansed and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us as the temple of the living God. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's something we never deserve. It's a free gift. By the grace of God, we are able to receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ and we are able to receive the Holy Spirit who moves inside of us. The authority that comes with knowing him. We get all these things. But you know what marks a true Christian? Obedience. You see, you can say all day that Jesus is Lord, but if you live as though you are Lord, we know the truth. Faith without works is dead, as James would tell us. Dead. It's not real. It's a false gospel. To think that you just add Jesus on to your life and you continue doing the same things and you continue living life as though you are Lord is not the true gospel. The true gospel is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he gives you a new heart, you put off the old self and you become a follower of Jesus. I already told you what Jesus did. Do you follow that example? Or are you living your best life now? Is it about you or is it about him and his kingdom? See, those whom Jesus heals submit to his authority. This man, naturally, he wants to go with Jesus. His townspeople have just kicked him out. He's been healed by Jesus. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He knows that Jesus is Lord of lords. He's the only one with the authority to do what he did. He's getting in the boat, and the man says, Please, Jesus, let me come with you, in verse 18. But verse 19, Jesus says, And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. 
And everyone marveled. You see, the man's plan was to go with Jesus, to to go off and to be discipled by Jesus. You know, who doesn't want to go with Jesus and hear his teachings? Who doesn't want to follow him around and see the miracles that he's done? Yet Jesus says, no, I have a different plan for you. I want you to go back to this village whose hearts are so hardened, who only care about money, who are in the darkness of sin. And I want you to share your testimony with them. I want you to proclaim it in the Decapolis to all of them so that they can all hear who I am, so that they have the opportunity to be saved. You think that man wanted to go do that? You think that man, do you you not think that he was ashamed? I was the naked, crazy dude that lived out by the tombs, cutting myself and screaming all the time. That was me. Is there not shame, right? When you share your testimony and talk about the man or the woman that you were before Christ, it's shameful. It's sad. And he's, he has to go and he has to declare his testimony to these people. He doesn't get to go off with Jesus. Jesus has a different plan for him. But you know what he does? He does what Jesus asks him to. It had to be hard to stand in front of a bunch of people who had seen you living a crazy life. They'd seen you naked. They'd seen you out of your mind. And now you stand before them and declare the reason that I'm healed, the reason that I'm no longer who I was is because of this man, Jesus Christ. Is that your testimony this morning? Do you proclaim that to the people? Are you living out the calling that God has given us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations? You see, that's God's purpose for his church. That's his plan for his church. That's his will for our lives. From the very beginning, in the Old Testament, when he chose the nation of Israel, you know why he chose them? So that they would be a blessing to all nations. You know why he chose you? So that you would go and make disciples, being a blessing to all nations. Are you being obedient? Are you responding to what the Lord has called you to do? Or are you living for you and what you want in your life? What are your plans that God wants you to surrender for his? What are your plans that God says, that's not my plan for you? What is it that he's calling you to do that you haven't been willing to say, yes, Lord, You see, as this man shares in the Decapolis, it says, everyone marveled. They marveled. Through his testimony, they were able to hear the gospel. Through his testimony, they were able to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And how will they know if we, the church, don't go and share who Jesus Christ is? If the church doesn't go and share the good news of the gospel, Nobody's going. It's up to us. There's a reason that we are called the light of the world because God has appointed us that and he's called us to that. And we gotta be willing to be obedient and say yes, Lord. So in conclusion this morning, because Jesus has all power and authority, we must submit to him as king and Lord in our lives. Nobody has the power to save you, not even yourself, except for him. 
The question I have for you this morning, have you ever found yourself at the feet of Jesus begging to be healed? Have you ever humbled yourself to the point where you cry out and say, yes, Lord, I need you? John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him. And that goes for you this morning as well, that if you will repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be healed and you will be changed and God will do a marvelous work in your life that people can look back at and marvel upon as they look upon this man's life and they marvel at what Christ did for him. Is it time to stop living for the pigs? Is it time to step out in faith and obey him in areas you've lived in fear? Christians, this is for you. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's healed you. He's transformed you. And now he asks for you to be obedient, to worship him through your obedience. You see, worship isn't coming in on Sunday morning and singing a few songs. Worship is your life. Is he pleased when we make a joyful noise? Absolutely. Is singing songs of worship to him worship? Absolutely. It's just one part of it though. We worship with our lives. We worship with the way we we go out and make disciples. We worship with the way we put off sin in our lives. Are you worshiping? Are you giving him the glory that he deserves as Lord? This morning we're gonna have a time of response and I'm gonna be down front. And if you just wanna pray with me, that's fine. If, If you want me to pray for you, that's good. This morning if you've never given Jesus Christ your life. You've never called upon him as Lord and Savior. I would love to come and talk with you and see if today's the day that salvation comes to your house. Let's pray this morning and we'll enter into a time of invitation. Lord God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the amazing testimony that this man has. He was lost, he was broken, he had no hope and then your son Jesus shows up on the shores And he finds himself before the one who has all authority, all power. And Lord, we know that your son heals him. Cast the demons out. We know that this man becomes a follower of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray for your followers this morning here in in this service. I pray that we'd be willing to do as he did and be obedient to where you call us. Be willing to share our testimony of how you saved us, how it wasn't us, it wasn't our works, it wasn't that we came to church every Sunday. It wasn't that we did good works, but it was only by the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for those this morning who've never prayed to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, they are bound in their sin and they need to be set free. Lord, I pray this morning that they would submit their hearts and lives to you and that they would be set free. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.